In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I mentioned uh, before uh, our service, we had a sermon prepared by Bishop Todd to be preached today, uh, but uh, current events and circumstances uh, led Ben and I and Spencer to believe that that was not sufficient to speak to our need today and to speak to Pentecost today. So you must know, friends, um, usually most of my sermon prep is figuring out what not to say. Because I never have trouble coming up with things to say, but they're not always beneficial or helpful. And just, just know, I haven't had any time to figure out what not to say today. So I ask you to bear with me and hear me with charity. Also, uh, Ben and I are going to be kind of co-preaching this uh, today, and he's just going to interrupt me whenever he feels like it. And that's good. Which is another new thing that we haven't rehearsed, so here we go. <laughs> Friends, the first, the first Pentecost took place when a brown man executed by the state defeated death. And that brown man who defeated death walked right into the fear and violence that his friends were feeling and declared peace. But notice, this isn't an opiate for the masses peace. This isn't a... Uh, thoughts and prayers peace. This, this isn't an escape from reality, but he shows up with the holes in his hands. He shows up with the rope burns around his neck. He shows up with the marks of the violent, oppressive state on his body. He has earned this victory. And so everything we talk about today on Pentecost is not meant to uh, make us feel better or escape reality, but friends, Jesus shows up with his scars and says peace. And then to people who have trouble catching their breath because a knee is on their neck, he breathes on them. And says, receive the Holy Spirit. We see in our gospel, our, our reading from Acts, that the Holy Spirit descends like a fire on the apostles and other disciples. And they start speaking in different tongues. They start uh, saying, uh, speaking in native languages or other languages. And the people around them are so taken aback by it that they think they're drunk. Because they're saying things that haven't been said or sound crazy. Well, you know what? Today, I'm going to go a little drunk on you. I'm going to say some things that need to 
be said. Here's some strange words that need to be said, friends. And I'm just going to name them up front, and then I'm going to unpack them. Ben and I will unpack them. Here's some words today. I don't know Cyprian or else maybe I'd do this in Cyprian. I'm going to do it in English, but here's some words today that need to be said. <clears throat> Apathy. Anger. Ally. Anti-racist. Apathy. Anger. Ally. Anti-racist. Here's the first thing, friends. Apathy. We don't have to talk about brown and black people dying because we're a church full of white people. I see you, Shafiq. I see you, Carlo. I see you, Chinjay. We don't have to talk about this today, friends. In fact, is anybody not fatigued by the incessant, countless, never-ending stream of black and brown people being killed? I talked to somebody from Tallahassee yesterday, a friend of mine who's living down there for the time being, and he was watching the news and he's like, stay safe, man, stay safe. And my first thought in my front yard was, it never occurred to me I wouldn't be safe. The only way I'm not safe is if I decide to drive downtown last night or some other city center and put myself in harm's way. Because that's what it's like to be white. <laughs> Apathy. Apathy. I was thinking, uh, I was speaking this morning, friends, with uh, someone with black skin. And uh, this person was telling me this morning uh, those very same things, that it's easy, easy for me to feel safe as a white person. But this person in their very safe neighborhood does not feel safe uh, walking around. This person said they find themselves staying indoors a lot more because he knows nobody will harm him indoors. And I was just struck by the fact that I never really need to think about that. I was outdoors most of the, most of the evening uh, last night and didn't feel unsafe. Yeah, the name Brianna Taylor comes to mind as somebody who's not safe indoors. The first word is apathy. I'm tired of being apathetic. I'm done with it, church. The second word is anger. George Floyd, Brianna Taylor. Take the next 20 minutes listing names here and probably in 2020 who have similar stories. And then all the stories we don't know because there wasn't a camera or a witness. I want to say that anger is infinitely better than apathy. If you can't get angry about this, what can you get angry about? 
what's worth being angry about? We've been taught that rage and anger are wrong. They're not. We're told in scripture repeatedly that Jesus gets angry. The, one of the first exorcisms in Mark's gospel, the word used when Jesus encounters somebody inhabited by a demon is he got bat spit enraged. I mean, that's a loose translation of the Greek, friends. You just have to trust me. Jesus was beside himself angry. And friends, our society and culture has a demon. And if we can't get mad about this, we can't get mad about anything. Ben, you help me out. I'm a little too angry to speak right now. Sure. We say this, uh, those of you who've been in our DNA groups, we say this all the time. Part of the, part of the good news about our negative emotions, especially anger, is that it's good to feel bad about bad things. It's appropriate to feel bad about bad things. And so anger and rage are a perfectly normal human response to injustice when things are not being done uh, that, that lead to the dignity of human life. Anger is a perfectly normal response. It means that we're actually still plugged in to the source of life. It means our conscience functions. So anger is the flip side of this apathy that is so tempting for us because it's hard, I mean, it's hard to be angry in a sense. It's hard to be invested. It's easier to be apathetic. But anger our own and the anger that we see in the people who have been oppressed for 400 years is perfectly normal. And it reflects God's heart for justice. So maybe maybe there's permission to be angry. Yes. And uh, I know this is a violation of some white Christian code that we all signed, but I, I'm not going to say, don't let the sun go down on your anger and uh, be angry, but do not sin. I'm not saying that today. Because some of us just need to get angry. To not be angry at bad things is sin too. So there's permission to be angry. There's freedom to be angry. I'm not telling anybody not to be angry. If you can't get angry at this, I don't know what will make you angry. The third word is ally, church. I'm committed personally and as one of the leaders of our church, that we will find a way to be allies to people who are wanting their bodies to be safe outside or in their bed. But here's what, it, here's what being an ally means. And this is hard, but this is what it means. 
It means that we aren't centered, white people. We're not centered. We don't get to call the shots. We don't get to have things the way we want them. We are in control. This will make us uncomfortable. Our sensibilities may be offended. You might be offended by some insensitive comment. Count it pure joy. Store up in your body what's lacking in the cross of Christ. Endure it. Deal with, we have to deal with our fragility and we have to deal with our privilege if we are going to be allies to people who are dying because they're black. It's important to remember, friends, that our sensibilities and our the things that bother us and offend us, they've been shaped by many things, but one of the things they've been shaped by is uh, whiteness. The concept of being white, which, uh, friends, is, is, not, um, is not a natural phenomenon, but it, it's something that was created and propagated by people who wanted power over people that weren't white. So if we're going to ally and agitate and advocate for people who are dying and suffering, if we are going to take this Holy Spirit and bear witness to the cross of Christ, that brown man who is executed by the state, who still shows his scars as he breathes peace, we have to get over being in charge not being offended, having things our way. That's not how this works. We've been in charge for a, hundred, a few hundred years now, and it's a crap show. We've had every opportunity to dismantle racism and white supremacy. We have not done so. The thing we've created, we've told people, just be patient. This takes time. Don't offend too many white people or nobody will listen to you. Friends, to be an ally is to care more about racism than it is caring about somebody's feelings getting hurt because they may be a racist. Can you hear this today? I'm willing to hurt somebody's feelings to save a freaking life. I may be angry right now, friends. The fourth word is anti-racist. Apathy, no place for it. Anger, it's okay. Ally, we're not in charge. And the fourth word is anti-racist. I was talking to a friend today, uh, and he said this, he said this to, to me and a group of people. He said, it's possible to be a Christian in the United States and be a racist. In fact, it's easier to convert to Christianity than it is to become an anti-racist in America. Just think about that. It probably says something about 
what we think it means to be a Christian, and it says something to the hegemony of white supremacy and racism in our country. Friends, whiteness is baked into the way our faith has taken shape in America. We can't avoid it. And, and, and there is truth that the shape of Christianity in America is a white religion. A friend of mine calls it slaveholder religion. If you are an evangelical or an Anglican in America, your theological heritage runs right through slaveholders. I'm talking about me, friends. So what it means to be an anti-racist is this. We have to own that we're racist. So I'm a racist. You're a racist. Hear me, church. For a long time, I didn't think I was. I grew up on the south side of Indianapolis, which is a fairly provincial upper Appalachia, it's called. Now, as they people think about people groups in the different areas of the Midwest. And uh, I had friends that... Uh, dropped the N-word all the time, made fun of Jews, other people groups. Um, I know more racial slurs from growing up where I grew up than I I ever cared for my kids to know. But I didn't use the N-word, friends. And if I told told, uh, ethnic jokes, it was about Polish people, right? So I was an enlightened progressive, non-racist growing up. That's what I thought, but I was wrong. Because I don't have a swastika hanging in my house and I don't drop the N-word casually on social media conversations, that doesn't mean I'm not a racist. And it took me about 35 years to realize that. Ben Sternke, are you a racist? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's important to, to note, I mean, the way, the way that we're using the word is, is we are entangled in these power structures in ways that, that are difficult to see and difficult to, dis, to, to unravel. So that's what that means. It means I don't have, it doesn't mean I have personal feelings of animosity towards black people. That's bigotry. Right. That's prejudice. That's different than racism. Right. Racism has to do with power. It has to do with participating in power structures that oppress uh, other people, people that are not like me. Um, and so friends, I, I, I feel like the, the good news in the midst of this is that we, we can unravel the ways that the parasite of racism has taken hold inside the host of Christianity. That's one way of thinking about it. Mm. And I think the people who teach us best how to do this are our black brothers and sisters, because that's what they did. Slaveholder religion attempted to use Christianity as a way of keeping them in their place. But they heard the story and they were like, this isn't a story about you. (laughs) 
this isn't a story about this. This is a story about freeing slaves. And they took what was meant for their oppression and they turned it into liberation. They turned it into something that could speak to their own liberation. And so there is a, there is a way to unravel the ways that the parasite of racism has taken hold inside the, the host of Christianity. But the first step in unraveling that is to be able to see it, to be able to name it, to be able to lament it, to be able to confess it and just own our complicity in it. But the good news is, friends, our faith does give us resources to be able to do this. We can do this. And this is what Jesus was doing with the disciples, saying when he breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. There was tons of growth that needed to happen. Peter, at this point, was still a xenophobic racist who believed that, (laughs) you know, the Holy Spirit was only going to come to the Jews. There was tons of growth that needed to happen. But the Holy Spirit was there, and Jesus was confident that Peter receiving the Holy Spirit, the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit, and being authorized with power to bear witness to the pain of the world and to bear witness to the power of the resurrection, that was going to be able to unravel the ways that their faith in God had been uh, taken over by hegemonic power. So Jesus says, you will receive power. You will be my witnesses. You will bear witness to the real pain of the world and you will bear witness to the resurrection of the dead, which is the presence of Christ on the earth, the presence of Christ in the marginalized, with the marginalized, among the marginalized. This is our task, friends, as Pentecost people, to be people who do receive the Holy Spirit and who can bear witness to the resurrection see the pain of the world, confess our complicity. And this is the task is to hold these two things together. So we lament on the one hand, we name evil as evil. We get angry about bad things and we cry out to God. We make that the source of our prayer. I've been surprised. I mean, I've been reading the Psalms my whole life, but in these past few weeks, I've just noticed how many of these psalmists are in real trouble. (laughs) They're having really bad days. Like they're on the edge of death. They're, they're desperate. And this is, it. this is what we do as Christians, is we come to God in our desperation. We cry out to him. We bring him the full range of our emotions about these things. So we lament, we cry out, we confess, we name evil as evil, we confess our complicity, we confess our apathy, we name uh, the, the way that our desire for comfort has led us away from justice. Whatever we're aware of, we confess, we lament. But we also, on the other hand, bear witness to the the resurrection of Jesus. We proclaim the reality of resurrection hope in the midst of this. All is not lost because Christ has been raised from the dead. Death has been defeated. The power that holds a black man under under the knee of a police officer does not win the day. It does not have the last say. Death has been defeated. And so we declare both of these things at the same time. We lament our complicity. We proclaim resurrection hope. We proclaim that God's presence is here, that he is among us, that he is with us to heal and to save. We lament and we proclaim. Amen. And we look for opportunities 
to stand with the marginalized in solidarity. And we pay the cost that it takes to, to do that when we're, when we're able to. Yes, I'll, I'll share one other thing. And then uh, I'd like to call us to respond in prayer. As it concerns the table, Ben and I are committed to looking for ways to lead us into corporate solidarity and action in ways that aren't um, centering our privilege and power in ways that aren't colonial, in ways where we are receiving and learning and submitting as we help. I just want to tell you, I just want to just own with you all, I suck at that. I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to find it. One of the only things that occurs to me is that like at some point in the table's life, we've got some uh, black or brown or Latino or Latina or Indian people who can lead with us and shape our culture and we can submit to a mutual submission. It's one of the ways I think we become a church that gains an imagination for what it, the cost and what it takes. And we're committed to that, to being open to that and discerning that with you. Friends, the time for apathy is through. It's okay to be angry. Let's learn to be allies as anti-racists because of Pentecost, because the spirit is tearing down dividing walls of hostility as the gospel. This is the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.